We have got a little bit of everything for you today. Hey, what position do we want to still see targeted in the transfer portal? Who is going to start at wide receiver this season? We're going to rank the importance of all the home games going on this year and even a little nugget on football recruiting. Let's go. You are Locked On Spartans, your daily podcast on the Michigan State Spartans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Spartan friends, Spartan family, Locked on Spartans listeners, thank you so much for kicking off your day with us here at Locked on Spartans, your team in green and white five days a week. And really quick, gang, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. Thanks again for tuning in to Locked on Spartans here, especially in the midst of the offseason. We are in the dog days of summer, but as you guys know, there's never a dull day in East Lansing, always stuff to talk about. So... Uh, if you ever want to reach out with a question about the happenings going on at MSU, LockedOnSpartans at gmail.com is the place to find us. Or hey, just comment below on YouTube. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. And I think that takes care of all of the housekeeping. Let's get into the show here. And uh, excuse me for being late to this. Happy decision day for Jaden Aikens and AJ Hogart, everyone. Uh, blessed day for you and your family and all those who celebrate this hopefully joyous day because, well, I've if they don't decide by midnight on Wednesday what they're going to do, stay in the NBA draft, or come back to Michigan State, well, if they don't have a decision, that they can't come back to school and maintain their college eligibility. So it's it's going to be the waiting game all day Wednesday. was really hoping that we could just get it out of the way early this week, but now we're, we're going to wait that full 24 hours on Wednesday. So keep your eyes peeled on the social media channels there. And, of course, when the news drops, you know where to find us, Lock on Spartans. We will be talking up and down about it. God help us. I, I hope it's good news. It would Again, I'm going to dig my feet so far in the sand on this dance. It would be Looney Tunes to, to stay in the draft if you're not invited to the Combine. But, hey, who am I to tell kids uh, what to do with their dreams and what not to do? Maybe they think the NBA is calling right now, and it's time to go instead of... Make me and you happy uh, about this, what could be a special season coming up for Michigan State basketball. All right, let's get into the mailbag here, actually. This is what's going to kick us off here, LockedOnSpartans at gmail.com. And Mike writes in, all right, well, it's a very short question, actually. Who do you want to see Michigan State still target in the portal? All right, they've made a splash. You know, a few smatterings of, of names here have hit the board here. Some have came and gone, like Keon Stewart. That was a very exciting pickup in the defensive secondary. And then, well, okay, he went to Arkansas. But Jalen Sami, run stopper. If you listen to yesterday's episode, I named him as one of the top five transfer pickups for Michigan State football this offseason. Alante Brown was also a speedy receiver that the staff felt like they needed, that I felt like they needed, that probably you felt like they needed, just to give a different look in the passing game. So there's still a lot of time left in the transfer portal window because, I, quite frankly, there really is no deadline in the spring transfer portal window. You can add guys. I mean, got up to up to kickoff, basically, this upcoming season. But who else do we want to see Michigan State get on campus position-wise here? We're not going to go through all the nitty-gritty names because, quite frankly, I don't know if MSU has reached out to a few names here, but I think the point stands that, number one, now that they shored up wide receiver, now that they shored up defensive backfield secondary, now that they shored up defensive tackle depth, which they've done a fantastic job at that, 
I, I like moving on to linebacker here, and not just linebacker, but maybe a younger kid too, like a guy that's going to have three years of eligibility left, at least, coming into Michigan State. Right now, it's a two-linebacker system uh, with that nickelback being that third kind of linebacker, but two pure linebacker positions here at Michigan State. And you got Jacoby Winman, all right? You have Cal Halliday, you have Aaron Brule, Ma'anauteote, Jordan Hall, the true freshman, also Darius Snow, whether he's going to be a nickel or a linebacker to be determined, but I digress. That's six names. That's not a ton of depth, and especially when you go into next year, well, Jacoby Winman, he's walking out that door. Aaron Brule, he will not be around either. So, okay, it's either you're going to rely on a true freshman that you get in the recruiting ranks this season going into next year, or, hey, go fishing for a linebacker that has a lot of years of eligibility left. I wouldn't mind if it's like a pass coverage linebacker either, now, I know that those are kind of hard to come by on the college game. I mean, you know, getting their good run-stopping linebackers is a little easier than the guys that can, you know, keep pace with a slot receiver or a nice downfield tight end. But I digress. Hey, we're making a wish list here, so I would not mind to see a linebacker uh, being taken off the board here. And you can be a little loose, too. It doesn't have to be this bonafide, you know, former four-star guy like you got the roster spots available. You already shored up a lot of your issues uh, going into both portal windows. Why not just you know throw spaghetti on the wall and see if anyone sticks in the linebacker room? Also, hey, I'm going to say for number two, a position that we've already just talked about, actually, and that is going to be, and if you're a listener of this podcast, you know what's coming next, defensive secondary. Defensive secondary. The defensive secondary. I cannot... Cannot stress enough how much I want to see more cornerbacks in this room at Michigan State for two reasons. Well, okay, it's it's depth is the one overall reason, but the two sub reasons in that is well, let's let's have some talent trying to sharpen each other here. Iron sharpens iron, as they used to say around uh, campus. They probably still say that, but right now it's Chuck Brantley, Marquis Lowry. As your projected cornerback one, cornerback two. You have Caleb Coley right behind them. Redshirt freshman, young kid, inexperienced. But, hey, with that said, still hearing good things about him. Out of practice, he's pushing for a starting role, actually, is what I've heard. But with that said, still inexperienced, all right? I'm a little, just a little gun-shy to just put all my chips in that pot right there. Uh, Chance Rucker, well, how about a true freshman instead? And then you have Chuck Kimbra, who we've seen him at East Lansing. The the, the confidence has been wavering since day one. Hopefully this offseason is an awakening, but guys, we've we've seen a lot of him. And then also Samar Melvin from Wisconsin, who didn't really play a whole lot there last year. So in the two cornerback positions, it's Chuck Brantley, Marquis Lowry, Caleb Coley, Chance Rucker, Kimbra, and Samar Melvin. And the second sub-reason that you want more depth in this position is, well, gee, I don't know. Did the defense have injury issues last year? You tell me. They had 27 different starters on defense last year. So, yeah, maybe I'm still a little skittish from that. But, yeah, I mean, again, Chuck Brantley, fine player. Marky Lowry, the, the times he is healthy, fine player. But, you know, I've also said this in the past. You know what else they are also? They're, they're also seemingly hurt a lot. So, yeah, if you can just get anyone that has starting cornerback experience, and I know, again, this is saying a lot, this deep into the spring transfer portal window, a lot of the best players have been taken up, but man, I would still go fishing for a cornerback here. And then last but not least, we ain't talking defense, we ain't talking offense, we're talking kicker. All right, this is another one I've been screaming, screaming until I'm blue in the face about. Uh, Jonathan Kim, he transfers up here from North Carolina. 
Okay, he was a kickoff specialist for the Tar Heels. He attempted one extra point two years ago. Needless to say, that's not a lot of experience, guys. Uh, look, hey, Jonathan Kim, he's got great clips on social media. You know, he is piping these things in from long distance. You got that great end-over-end rotation on the ball. In my very amateur kicking uh, expertise, it's what you want to see out of a kicker. But, like, I, I want to see, again, kind of like the cornerback room we just talked about, more competition. I mean, I don't have to remind everyone what happened last year with the kickers. But I'll do it anyway because I'm just in that kind of a mood right now. Uh, it, it cost Michigan State a bowl game. And yes, a lot of factors go into losing seven games. It wasn't squarely on Ben Patton's shoulders. But just just hit just hit a 26-yarder. I don't think that's asking a lot. But beside that one game against Indiana, it also affected how this coaching staff could call games throughout the contest, right? I mean, it changed play calling when they got within the 30-yard line. All right, it's third and five, and instead of getting you know, aggressive, trying to bite off seven, eight yards for a first down, and you know, just saying, well, okay, if we don't pick it up, field goal unit comes on. Like they're playing for four downs the entire time because you had a stable of field goal kickers that were kicking at a lowly fifty percent on the season. Again, I, I don't know how many kickers are out there, but kickers in college are kind of a dime a dozen, and I would not mind seeing. Two school buses full of kickers just get dropped off at East Lansing on August 1st and say, hey, you know what? The best five here get to stay, and we'll figure it out throughout the season who really gets to stick along because it was, guys, it was so miserable last season. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing another kicker, but... Yeah, so thank you for the email, Mike. Again, LockedOnSpartans at gmail.com is the place to find us. And we're going to get into another mailbag question on the other end here. But first, I need to talk your ears off about FanDuel Sportsbook. Gang, it is the best sports book in America. And, you know, we've been talking about this no-sweat first bet for quite some time. If you're a new customer, hey, it's even better to get in on FanDuel because you get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 is what I used to say. That's right. Hey, if you're a new customer, it, it just got so sweet you're going to have cavities after hearing this. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. If you are teaming to get in on the action of the NHL playoffs, the NBA playoffs, or hey, our Detroit Tigers, who doesn't want to bet on them these days, do so at the number one sportsbook in America. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get in on that no-sweat first bet action again up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Go bet on the NBA. Hey, if you're like me, take Nuggets in six. That is four to one. Go. Hey, let's all bet together. When has betting with me ever gone wrong? Come on, let's do it all at America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. It's FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, now back into the mailbag here. We don't have a name on this email, sadly. That's right. We have, we have some anonymous emailers. It's it's very nice. And maybe you're in Whitpo, or maybe you just don't want to be called out for a ridiculous question. But no question is too ridiculous on Lockdown Spartan. So thank you, whoever sent this. Uh, predictions for the MSU receiver core going into next year. Notice you did not mention Elante Brown as being a surefire starter next season in yesterday's episode. And that is... That is correct. Could he start? Yeah, absolutely. And this makes this question very, very difficult because uh, you guys know this. When Jaden Reed and Keon Coleman leave your room, 
It is a total reclamation project for this position group. It's not like there was a surefire two deep here. I mean, we're talking Jerron Glover, Christian Fitzpatrick, Trey Mosley, Alante Brown, Antonio Gates Jr., Tyrell Henry, Montori Foster. I, I'm sure I'm missing like a, a few names here. Maybe someone gets sneaky and pops up. But yeah, it's it, it is. Uh, there's there's probably one guy I'm really sure about, and that is Mr. Reliable Trey Mosley. One of my favorite players on this team. So beyond him, if I have to lock in a prediction, I have been hearing, and, and this is a guy that I think caught one pass last year against Akron. So not a lot of tape to go off of here. Preserved his redshirt year. A lot of eligibility left. But Jerron Glover is a receiver that I have been hearing some whispers borderline screams about of how well he's been doing at practice in the spring, of course, before everyone went to go do their own thing in the summer. But yeah, Jerron Glover, I'm going to lock in for one of these wide out positions. And for number two, give me Christian Fitzpatrick. Christian Fitzpatrick, another guy that did not play a lot last year. I believe he only played in four or five games and then had to miss the rest of the season with a shoulder or no season ending injury. I forgot. No, shoulder injury is Nathan Carter. Forgot what Christian Fitzpatrick was, regardless. Okay, six foot four, uh, solid receiver. He is turning heads in practice as well. So Jerron Glover, Christian Fitzpatrick, and then Trey Mosley is going to be the third guy. And I do wonder, I do wonder if he's going to be a guy that stays in the slot. I mean, he's clearly by far, like no one's even close to him, the most experienced guy. Returning, I mean, he's the only guy with a lot of starting experience. He had 10 starts last year. And Montori Foster, uh, he has four starts under his belt. None of them came last year, though. So, like, that's a name that a lot of people know. But it's not like he had a stranglehold on that position. So that's why I'm giving it to Glover and Fitzpatrick over Foster. But, yeah, like, Trey, I, he, made his, he made himself a home in that slot the last few years. So I wonder if that's just where he stays and then let your X and your Z be. Glover Fitzpatrick or Alante Brown or hey guys if it's if it's Noah Kim being the quarterback we saw some good chemistry between him and and Antonio Gates Jr. in the spring game and I know I'm doing like the worst thing of all time taking 45 minutes of live game action in a spring practice and just using that as my prediction but like if that's all we got to go off of for this little position group here yeah I, I, I might as well just go ahead and throw his name into the mix um another Question here. This went along to the same email here. Different position groups sticking with the offense. What do you think the splits of the carries will be between Jalen Berger and Nathan Carter going into next season? Another great question. Uh, another very tough question, but we're going to answer it anyway. Again, we're just we're playing darts over here. We're blindfolded. We're spinning around three times. We're hoping something lands close to the bullseye, but. I do have a sneaking suspicion that while Jalen Berger came on strong at the end of last season, that Nathan Carter is going to be running back one this year. Not by a lot, though. I, we're going to get into this here in a hot second. Just for context, this is what it looked like last year in the running back splits. Uh, Jalen Berger, 148 carries. Eli Collins, 70 carries. Jarek Broussard, 63 carries. And I don't think that anyone on the staff before the season started Thought that would be the split between the number two and running three running back. Jared Broussard, that was an experiment that did not work, unfortunately, whether it be for just, just you know, be, being undersized or injuries, too. That's how Eli Collins got some of uh, his carries as well. But Eli just played solid in the middle of last year. But I think it was really supposed to be Burger one, Broussard two, but it just did not shake out like that last year. Also, 
last season, Michigan State dead last in rushing attempts last year. So, I mean, we've got some wonky numbers here, but we're going to try to find our footing. Uh, Like in 2021, the Kenneth Walker year, um, there were 364 carries amongst the top four running backs. Kenneth Walker led the way with 263. So let's say 400 carries amongst the running backs, which is like, Average, if if not, it would be just a, a smidge below average in the Big Ten, but that would be a quite the rise from last season um, as far as number of carries go. But for a round number, just so we could all follow along and for me to be able to do the math here, let's say there's 400 carries amongst the running backs. I'm going to guess Nathan Carter, 200 of those. He gets half of those. Uh, Jalen Berger, I'm going to have at 140-ish. So 148 last year, 140 going into next year. Again, I don't think that they're just going to throw him into a box and wheel him out to a garage sale and being like, oh, we have no use for you now that we found Nathan Carter. Like, There's still a place in this offense for Jalen Berger, certainly. Also, Jaron Mangum as well. We've talked about the short yardage situation issues that Michigan State has had last year. They got Jaron Mangum just for those roles. I think he'll have 40 carries. I mean, what does that come out to? About three or four a game, maybe. I mean, maybe he'll have five or six in one game, but yeah. Your big body guy that will get you those bruising yards or inches on third and fourth and short. So that brings us up to 380 carries. And then the other 20 carries will just be split between Jordan Simmons, who's still here. Harold Joyner, if he becomes a running back again after trying defensive back. I don't know, just like 20 random carries to round us out the 400. But yeah, so that's a long way of saying that. I think Nathan Carter will get half, maybe a little more than half, and then Jalen Berger not too far behind. But that's... That's how I see it. That's how I see it going into next season in the running back room. Now, we're going to allude to an email yesterday. Again, lockedonspartans at gmail.com. Take a drink every time I say that. You will you would have been passed out by now, actually. But anyway, lockedonspartans at gmail.com. Someone reached out to talk about the Penn State game moving to Ford Field. And no, before you start pounding your head into drywall, I'm not going to talk about that again. There's nothing I can say that's going to change your mind. There's no comment you can leave that's going to change my mind. And quite frankly, I think we're all kind of sort of a little sick of talking about it here. But yesterday, there was an email. I believe it was, oh God, it was uh, Ben. That's right. It was Ben that emailed. And he wrote that the Penn State game was the second most important home game of the season. So that's just going to give us a launching point here for how we're going to end this show on the third segment here is, hey, let's rank the importance of MSU's home games going into next year. And just for sake of conversation, we're going to count the Penn State game as part of this. We're going to slot this in as a home game. Um, You know, this, this could be... For a few reasons, but one, hey, you know, Ford Field, the majority of the crowd will still be Michigan State. Or for you anti-Ford Field people, this could be a talking point for you guys to be like, oh, see, it would have been a top three game or what have you. Whatever. Um, I'm going to shock everyone with number one here. Uh, number one, Michigan. Uh, yeah, That's right. Yeah, that, that whole rivalry thing. The We hate them more than they hate us, more than they hate us, and then we hate them more than... Like, it, it is just pure uncut hate and... Um, Look, beyond that, beyond the Paul Bunyan Trophy, there's quite the wave of momentum going on over in Ann Arbor, and um, I, I don't know if you guys have uh, read the news lately. Not, 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 not quite for Michigan State here, though, but what changes that? Winning changes that, and if you can give Michigan a bump in their road on the way to a third straight college football playoff, hey, you, you get two strikes before you're essentially knocked out of the conversation. 
Yeah, that would be massive. It would be an eye-opener for recruiting. They would also get this fan base back on board with the Mel Tucker regime. I, now, is the entire fan base against him? No, that that's ridiculous. Hey, I'm, I'm still here. I'm, I'm still on board. Do I have my, uh, my my inklings and just wonders of what is going on? Sure, who doesn't? But, like, hey, I'll tell you what fixes a lot. Beating Michigan. That would swing the public perception of Michigan State a lot, get a lot of momentum. So, yeah, I don't know why I'm still rambling. You guys know what the number one game is. It's always, always Michigan, and it's been like that for quite some time. Save for the years where, like, MSU and Ohio State were the top two teams in the Big Ten, like the – 2014 game, like that was important. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. I'm doing it. Uh, number two is where we start to get controversial. I'm telling you, two through seven is controversial. I mean, you could have 50 people in a room, 50 state fans in a room, and you'd have 50 different two through seven rankings here. Number two, I'm going to go out of the conference. That's right. I'm going out of the conference with the second most important home game for Michigan State. I'm going to say Washington. Actually, I'm going to say Washington because, well, this isn't your everyday Washington team. You know, just a team that's solid, you know, pretty good. They're visiting. Like, no, this this Washington team is a juggernaut going into next year. They will be definitely ranked in the top 10 in, like, the AP poll, the USA Today poll. Heck, they might even be in the top five in one or two of those polls going into next season. They have 29-year-old Michael Penix, who's been in college God, since Drew Stanton was slinging balls at Michigan State, he's back. All right, he has incredible receivers around him, a good offensive line. The defense is amazing. They have four first-round draft picks if you look at some mocks. These Washington Huskies are for real. If you get a win this early in the season, week three, before you launch into the rest of your conference season, your tough road games coming up, this is going to give confidence to not just us fans. Who cares about us fans? But this could blow off a lot of the stink that this team picked up last year. Losing can get contagious, and if you want to really turn the culture that quick, what better than week three at home against Washington? Again, I know this isn't a conference game, and conference games are incredibly important, but let me explain to you why I've Penn State at number three and not number two. And it is just because, like, hey, look, you can have a great season, especially if you beat Washington. But, like, I don't think that this is going to be a team that competes for a trip to Indy. And I'm sorry if that makes me the most negative Nancy of all time. But, look, FanDuel has you at 5.5 over-under for your wins. It is a very tough schedule. If it was, like, you know, 2021 and you're going into this Penn State game with a chance to clinch a New Year's Six Bowl bid, yeah, 100% that moves up to number two. But for this season... With this much going on, you know, the the turnover at the quarterback position, the receivers, the the injury issues, and also just like not even knowing if a healthy defense is even good enough in this scheme under Scotty Hazleton. There's a lot of unknowns going into next season. I I just don't think that we're going to be getting into that last week and being like, all right, we got to win. And we are an indie, or we are at least uh, going to the Fiesta Bowl or whatever non-cultural playoff New Year's Six Bowl game is going on. Like, It is going to be big because, you know, you can cut into momentum perhaps a little bit. Penn State is definitely a top competitor when it comes to Michigan State recruiting and just, well, just the lifeblood of Big Ten football. So that would be another big one as well. Now, four through seven, you can make any argument for number four here for the remaining four games. You got the Richmond game, CMU game, Nebraska game, Maryland game. For number four... Again, early in the season, I'm going to go Maryland. It is that fourth home game, and let's say that you do drop that game against Washington. All right, you, you are 
Right now, as it stands on FanDuel, America's number one sports book, not America's number one fan of the Spartans because they are 12 point underdogs against Washington. Let's say you've dropped that Washington game. All right, you're two and one. You really want to get out of a four game homestand to start the season before you go to Iowa City to play at Kinnick Stadium on a two and two record? I. I <laughs> I personally don't, guys. I don't know about that. I, I would really like to beat Maryland here. And also, too, while we talk about knocking Michigan's momentum, while we talk about knocking Penn State's momentum, guys, if you lose two in a row to Maryland, now you're kind of beneath them, right? I mean, they've now taken momentum from you. Now it's the guys below you that are arguably on par with you right now, snatching momentum. And you don't really want that. So whether it's just the outside perception of who you are as a program in the landscape of the Big Ten, you need this win. Whether it's just the mindset of this team or just the support of the fan base here. I mean, you want to get back home to, to a somewhat sold-out Spartan Stadium here. Man, if, you, if you're leaving that four-game stretch to start the season two and two, I don't know how you can call that a success by any stretch of the imagination. You go to Kinnick Stadium... Uh, you, you tell me how that usually goes for visiting teams. Not too great. Uh, so yeah, you're looking at two and three then. But yeah, again, where I'm spiraling here, it'd be really nice to get that Maryland game. Heck, guys, I almost had the Maryland game at, at number two, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I got it at number four right now. Number five, the Nebraska game. Still a lot of the same conversation right there. Uh, Interconference game, uh, middle of the season. This could be a make-or-break game if you go into that game around 500, or you need to win that game to get back up to 500. It, it, it'll be an important game. And spoiler alert: like all seven of these are pretty important games. There's no game that you're saying like ah, it doesn't matter if they lose. But so Nebraska's number five, number six is Central, and like truly, you can make an argument for this being as high as number two because just on the basis of if you do lose to the Chips week one, I just just pack it up. Just I mean, just. Uh, don't even turn the TV on. Don't ever go online the rest of the season. Uh, just c commit your life to gardening in the fall or just get really sick at pumpkin carvings uh, because, look, I, I, I get it. D'Antonio lost to Central early in his tenure. I was at that game. Things turn out okay later on, but, like, uh, I don't know, man. It's pretty volatile uh, here these days, and there's a lot of other programs in the Big Ten that are doing really good, and you've just made that hole even deeper if you lose to the fighting Jim McElwain's week one. And then the number seven most important home game, Richmond. I mean, if you lose to the Richmond Spiders, who I, hand to God, I, I I don't claim pride in admitting this, but like I had no idea they even had a football team at Richmond until last year when I was looking at this year's schedule. Like I, I've, I've known about the Spiders for less than 365 days. If you lose to them, who are like an okay FCS team, you know, they went, what, 9-4 and four last year, they hunt tight with number two Sacramento State in the playoffs, still, if you lose to the FCS, Richmond, I, I, I like, I'm gonna just commit my life to being a Tibetan monk, and I'm moving to the mountains, I'm never speaking again, and I'm just gonna spend the rest of my life just trying to find happiness that this school used to give me if you lose to Richmond. Um, it, <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's why I have it at number seven though. Like it's like, if you do lose that game, I mean, what, what is important about football anymore? I mean, it's just, you lose that game. We all probably just move on with our lives and try to find something completely different. Something that's actually healthy. So, you know, it's, yeah, that's, that's why I have it for number seven. Hey, before I get you out the door here, did talk about that. We have a nice recruiting nugget here. Nathan Roy. 
Nathan Roy. That's right. An offensive line prospect with two first names. Nathan Roy, top 200 kid out of Wisconsin, six foot seven, 270 pound offensive tackle. Yes, he has an Ohio State offer. Yes, he has a Florida offer. Yes, he unofficially visited USC not too long ago. Gang, he dropped his top three on Twitter earlier on Tuesday. It is down between UCLA who he officially visited back in May. It is down to Minnesota, and hey, you guessed it, it's down near Michigan State Spartans. Again, top 200 recruit anywhere you look at him. Rivals has him rated right at 200, and this could be the second year in a row. Second year in a row that Coach Kapilovic would land a top 250 offensive tackle. Stanton Rommel from Alabama. He was top 250 last year. This would be back-to-back years if you can get his commitment. So not only did he drop a top three of UCLA, Minnesota, Michigan State, also committing June 20th. Like I said, he visited UCLA in May. I don't believe there's plans to go back for another unofficial visit. He is visiting Michigan State June 9th and then Minnesota June 16th. So what I'm not thrilled about there is that Minnesota gets the last word. It's the old adage in recruiting. You either want the first visit or the last visit, but hey, of course, you can still get a commitment if you are that middle visit. Happened to Michigan State last year. Happened to every program last year. But yes, that is what we are looking at. Commitment from top 200 kid Nathan Roy 11 days after visiting East Lansing. Uh, and hey, if you want more recruiting talk, well, tune in later on this week. Ryan O'Blenis of Spartans Illustrated will be joining this show. We're going to talk all about this first weekend here. Ryan's got some good insight. He's talked to a good handful of these guys as well. And it's a big one because as of now... We're looking at eight four-stars visiting, so starting June with a bang here. So, hey, join us here, Lock on Spartans. And also, if or when this Akins and Hogarth announcement ever comes, it kind of has to come soon. Uh, hey, you know where to find us? Locked on Spartans right here every single day. You guys are the best. Now go enjoy the rest of your day. Love you all. Go Green.